And Jesus, God, you are the reason. You are the reason that we have life. You are the reason that we can believe. You are the reason that we can be your friend and that we can be restored and reconciled to you. Father, we pray this morning that we would recognize that solely, only, solely, only, that only because of what Christ has done, that we can be right with you, God. And that it doesn't matter what we do, but it is solely his act, only his act, Father, that sets us right with you. Lord, I know that people will, in our world will say that they can be good and they can do this and they can do that and it will somehow get them some leverage with you. But we know that is not the case because we cannot leverage you. We can only know you and accept your offer of friendship. Father, Lord, one of the ways that we can accept that offer is to be able to go to you and just ask for forgiveness for any sin, brokenness, and mistakes that's in our lives. Father, we're going to just take a moment right now and just do that, each of us individually. Lord, just go to you and just say, God, forgive me for these things. Let's just do that right now. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and we thank you that you did give us the gift of Jesus, that we are able to be made right with you. Father, we thank you that you have also entrusted us with ambassadorship, that, Father, we are meant to be your ambassadors to the world, that it is not sufficient for us to sort of live generically moral lives, but that you have called us to certain things. Lord, you have called us to serve, you have called us to give, you have called us to share with other people. Father, we pray that we would be able to take hold of the, your calling, that BBC would be a place for that. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would just bless this church and bless each of us as we seek to fulfill your calling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's no movie clip again this morning, and again, because Hollywood doesn't really present sharing our faith in a way that is... Uh, it's something that we want to dwell on or really even uh, is useful for conversation. Um, and uh, the other problem is, is that, m as my wife and I were talking about it this week, is that uh, one of the problems is, is that when I show clips, the clips have to be the right feel, you know? And like today we're going to talk about this issue of pleading, right? But a lot of times in movies, in fact, 99% uh, of the time, the pleading is always some comedic, you know, act. Uh, and uh, it's not really, doesn't really take us where we want to go. So we're going to have to sort of define some things this morning as we talk about our third part series, third of our uh, four part series uh, about in the name of love. But that's okay because I'm really stoked. This is a great passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. I was reminded of this, uh, it was actually a couple weeks ago when I was planning this out, how great a passage this was here in 2 Corinthians. So anyway, in the name of love, this is a series that we've been working through. Um, again, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, uh, we're not talking about love like God's love for us, although that's part of it. But really what we're talking about is are we willing to share our faith with other people? Or do we love other people enough that we're willing to tell them what God has done for them? That's the question that we all face because it's easy for us to say, well, you know, other people don't care about the gospel. Other people are not interested in the gospel. 
But the truth is, is that that is ultimately an excuse that we are using ourselves. Instead of willingness to share and to be God's ambassadors to the world, we sort of fear rejection, fear not knowing what to say. We have these fears, and so it causes us to really not love people to the potential that God calls us to love when we get right down to it. So, of course, I wrote this to sort of challenge and sort of be in your face a little bit because, you know, nobody wants to say that they're unloving, right? Hey, who of you among you are unloving, right? No one, no one wants to say that. Everyone wants to think of themselves as loving. And the problem is the Bible says that if we love other people, that part of it will be sharing our faith with them. And we're going to talk about that this week. Our four-week series then is Do We Really Love People? Um, do we love them enough to share with them what God has done for them? Our strategy then um, is this. The first week we talked about how God loved us enough to tell us first, right? I mean, you know, this is really important. I know it seems a little academic, but it's really important to keep in the forefront of our minds that God is the one who basically starts the conversation. He initiates the conversation. He is the one who draws people to himself. I used the example the first week of a middle school dance where the guys stay on one side and the girls stay on the other side, and they're all afraid, you know, to talk, and maybe that's not the way it is nowadays, I don't know. Um, but uh, that's the way it used to be. And uh, the problem is that analogy doesn't work. Uh, it works. The world uses that analogy a lot to describe how we know God as sort of both people sort of ten gingerly move towards each other. But that's not the way it is. God took a bold move moving all the way across the room to communicate his love and his truth um, to us. And so the thing is, is that God loved us enough to tell us that he loved us, even knowing that he would face rejection, right? And we talked about the first week how ironic it is, because I'll throw the statistics up again, that 80% of Christians never tell other people about Jesus at all, right? I mean, the number one reason Christians give for not telling other people about Jesus is because they're afraid of rejection, right? But God himself faced all of our rejection and was still willing to do it. And the other statistic that I've been throwing up is the fact that 95% of Christians never share so as to lead someone to know God. And so the thing is, is that only statistics show that only about 2% of all people who claim to be Christian are actively sharing with other people what God has done for them, right? So the problem is, is there are lots of people out in the world who have never met an authentic Christian sharing what God has done for them. Because if only 2% people are, 2 of people are sharing, that's not many people. So the average person is going to make a decision about whether to know God or not know God because they know someone who says they're a Christian because they go to church or they have angels on their desk at work, and then they're going to make a judgment call based on that person's morality rather than, or their assumption of morality, rather on the truth of the gospel. And people do that all the time. You ask people who have, been, who have rejected the gospel hardcore, you know, you ask them why they reject the gospel, what do they always say? Well, I don't know, always, but not a lot of times, 60, 70 percent of the time they say, I knew this one person, and this one person did blah, 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 right? And they said they were a Christian, and Christians a lot of times can be hypocrites, right? Blah, 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 right? And what it is is, whether or not that person is a Christian, I don't know. But what happened is, is that person never shared with the other person what God's truth was. Instead, they based their decision on a perceived morality. We don't want to be based on that, right? We want to be able to speak God's truth to people. So last week we talked about the stakes. We looked at Mark 16. And here's the problem. The problem is the stakes are really high because the Bible says that if we confess Jesus as our Savior, then we are made right with God. We are friends with God. But that if we do not, then we face condemnation based on our bad deeds, based on 
the things that we have done wrong. Everyone in our world does things wrong. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone does hurtful things to each other, right? And so the problem is your friends and your family members, even the sweet ones, even the nice ones, if you have any, right? Even they have a litany of sins that follow after their lives. Sins maybe they've done in secret. Sins maybe they did when they were younger. Struggles that they have. These issues have never been dealt with if they have not gone to God and asked for forgiveness. So this is the stakes because the stakes are really high. If we don't have a relationship with God, then we have to stand accountable for the mistakes that we've made. And we will be standing and dealing with those mistakes for all eternity, the Bible says. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want our friends to do that. We don't even want the people that we don't like to do that. Because even they are not fitted for that. God intended everyone to love him, have a relationship with him, and know him. So we don't want that. But the stakes are incredibly high. Listen, the worst mistake I think you can make, I didn't mention this last week, but the, the worst mistake you can make is to assume someone into heaven, right? Um, because the problem is, is that a lot of us, you know, we've got a friend or we've got a loved one and we really care about them and we're worried about upsetting the apple cart and upsetting the balance and we know that when they were 12, they went to church camp, uh, you know, and, and, and they made it, they went down the aisle or maybe when they were a baby, they were baptized and we say, well... All right, I'm just going to assume that they are Christian. I'm going to assume that they are Christian, and I'm not going to deal with it because I just can't, because I don't want to upset the apple cart. But the problem with that is is that you're, there's a very good chance you're going to assume them into condemnation um, instead of being able to share the gospel. Why? Because anyone who loves the Lord, I mean, when people come up to me, it doesn't happen at all in the Bay Area. I mean, I think never since I've moved here. But in my life, there have been times where people have come up to me uh, just out of the blue, or maybe in a conversation, and they'll say, hey, by the way, can I tell you about what God did in my life? And I'm like, sure. And they tell me, you know, and, you know, I'm like, at the end of the conversation, maybe they don't get it perfect, maybe it's, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I agree, that I'm, I'm the same, I'm right there too. Anyone who loves God is not going to reject what you have to say. So if the person already is a believer, then they're not going to reject what you have to say. Don't be afraid. You, fear is what's killing this for you and for well, today we're going to talk about the part that we play, um, and we're going to look in 2 Corinthians, which is a really great passage. Uh, I'm surprised that more people, I don't really hear this passage preached on a lot um, when, um, when we do studies of sharing our faith, and I don't know why, because yeah, I've never done it before, but it's a really good one. But today we're going to talk about the part that we play and how, what God's specific role is for us as we're sharing our faith, because God does have a role for you, He has a role for me, that's just the way it is. This is a role that he calls us to, and so we want to be able to take hold of that role in our lives. We're going to see what the Bible says. I mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, let me get the verses. I've, they escaped mine. It's like 18, 16 through 18, 18 through 21. Um, so if you want to turn there in 2 Corinthians, you're welcome to. It'll be up on the big screen as well. So here's what 2 Corinthians says. And all of this is a gift from God. Now, all of this means our salvation, the gospel, the good news, these things we've been talking about last couple of weeks. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, right? And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Let me say that again. And God has given us, not Pastor Douglas, right? All of us, this task of reconciling people to him. Not professional missionaries, us. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. 
and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Okay? And so we've talked about the last couple of weeks how this is not supposed to be preaching, like, you know, rah, 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 you can't wear that outfit, you need to get right with God, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I suppose we can argue there's a time and place for that, although not usually. But really, that preaching means what? To express, to proclaim what God has done. And here we have Paul even saying, hey, people, come back to God. Get right, you know, get that friendship going again. Get that relationship going again. And that's what um, the Bible calls us to do. All right, so let's talk about the three ideas that we're going to walk down through this morning. Um, is that, first of all, we must help others reconcile to God. So if you have your handout, you're welcome to follow along. Um, but first idea is that we must help others reconcile to God. This is what our calling is is that God asks us to be involved in this, and it's really cool because we're allowed to be involved in this. Um, somewhere in your life, there are, I know I, I know this is true for 90-some percent of you, but somewhere in your life, uh, there's going to come a tipping point, okay? If you're in the business world, you know what a tipping point is. They talk about that now, right? You know, where everything just sort of goes from broken to working, right? And there's this tipping point. And so what happens is, is that in your life, there's going to be a tipping point where before you reach the tipping point, you're going to see sharing your faith as a burden, as something that pastor nags you about, as something that you will do only because you feel like you have to do it, as something that just is bothersome and worrisome. But I'm going to promise you that at some point in your life, if you grow close enough to God, then there's going to come a tipping point where it is going to be second nature. It's going to be natural. It's going to be feel good. It's going to be exciting, believe it or not, to be able to tell people what God has done for them. Now, you could go back and forward. You know, if you have a bad thing happen in your life, sometimes people go back and then they have to cross the tipping point again. That's, we can debate that later. But at some point in your life, so the question I want to ask you this morning is, is that where are you at on this scale? Are you still in the sharing my faith with people? Is something I'm afraid of? It's something that bothers some? It's something that's worrisome? Or have you crossed over to the point where there's a certain joy about it? Now, let me use that word joy very carefully because the Bible tells us that we are to help others reconcile to God. And, and there are some people, and we all know them, they're a statistical anomaly, 1%, 2%, something like that. But we all know the Christian. I showed examples of it last week. Who, who gets up there, like if you've ever been downtown or if you've been to college campuses, they like to go out there, they like to yell, they like to condemn people, they like to shout at them, they like to scream at them, they like to do those things. We, we've all probably heard of someone or met someone in our lives who doesn't express the gospel, doesn't plead the case of God, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but instead just makes a, a royal jerk of themselves, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about here is that you'll reach a tipping point as you grow closer in your relationship with God. You'll reach a tipping point where you will feel excited uh, to be able to just have the opportunity to be able to say to someone, hey, God loves you. And so my prayer for you is that you'll reach that tipping point. The goal here, though, is to help others reconcile to God. Now, God first reconciled himself to us. This is, we've been talking about this and hemmed on this issue over and over again because this is what God did. It is not like... This, okay, let, let me share a myth. I've been doing some myths this series. Let me share a myth. Here's the myth. The myth that we face as we share the gospel is that it feels, if we were to only tap into our emotions, it 
feels as though when we share the gospel that somehow we have to convince that person or we have to force that person or that there is something that's not actualized, something that's not realized, and we have to fit it together. You know what I mean? Like, here's their puzzle piece, and here's God's puzzle piece, and those two puzzle pieces don't look like they fit together. And so we have to kind of cram it together and make excuses and make it work. And the problem is that's a myth. Now, that's a myth not because people have a hard time accepting God, some of them do, and, having a hard, and have a hard time fully making that commitment. That is, that's a legitimate issue. But it's not because the two puzzle pieces don't fit together. God himself first reconciled us to himself, and that reconciliation is completely valid for any person. The Bible tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will have a relationship with God, will be a friend of God, will be made right with God. Christ, when he came and he died for us and he, and, he, and he was willing to go to the cross and rose again on the third day, his sacrifice for us was a universal sacrifice. It was universal. Now, I know if you sat in church for a while, people will be like, wait a minute, universal? I thought the gospel was exclusive. Well, there's people debate that kind of foolishness. The bottom line is, is that Jesus died for everyone who is open to the gospel. Anyone who commits their life can make a decision and can follow God. And so what happens is it doesn't matter if the person's rich or if the person's poor. It doesn't matter if the person is smart or the person is, we don't say the other words this nowadays, but we say not smart, intellectually challenged. How about that? Uh, it doesn't matter whether the people are this, that, or the other. What matters is that God himself has chosen to first reconcile himself to people. Remember, we talked about this last week. People don't have to do anything. I shared the gospel when I was uh, uh, on vacation. Let's keep it uh, vanilla here. I shared the gospel when I was on vacation with someone, and the person said to me, well, Douglas, here's the thing. Um, I, I got to fix, I got to do this in my life first before I'm willing to face God. And I'm like, you know, you don't have much time left in your life. I don't know if you know this, but you're not a spring chicken anymore. And so th you can't, you know, forget that. Forget that. You go to God first and let God bring that into your life if he desires. And the person was like, nah, I just can't do it because I got to have this first. I got to have this first or I just don't, I just, I can't look God in the face. I'm like, you know what? You're going to look God in the face one way or the other. Better do it now than later. But the problem is that person wants to hold on to this issue in their lives. And I fear for them because I feel that that issue will keep them separated from God eternally because they put that place, that, that issue as an idol in front of God. So God first reconciled himself to us. He walked all the way across the room from one end to the other. And for every person that was ever born, he walked across the room and said, Look, I want to know you. I want to be your God. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be your friend. And that includes everyone from Jeffrey Dahmer to Charles Manson to, to the annoying person you know that you don't like in your office, in your cubicle next to you. All those people are covered, and God's reconciliation is valid to all of them. But, again, here's the thing. As we read in Scripture here, and all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. See, the problem is, is that there needs to be a glue. There needs to be, there needs to be a way for God to make himself abundantly known to people. And the way that God chose was to use you and I. Now, we, we've talked about this in the past. Maybe this is not an efficient way of doing it. Maybe it's an inefficient way of doing it. Uh, we can debate that, but it's the way that God chose it. We're not going to debate that now because we've debated that in the past. What does reconcile mean? Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, it says that we, let me read this again. 
And, uh, and God has given this task of reconciling people to him. What does that word mean? Um, we don't use it a lot. It means to restore to friendship or harmony. That's what it actually means. And so what the Bible is saying excuse me, here is that God's task for us is to help restore friendship between him and other people. Now, of course, the problem is, if we're honest, who's the antagonistic person in this relationship? Who's the antagonist in this relationship? People are. Right, that's right. People are antagonistic because God has already made the path of reconciliation open, right? He's already made it open. He's already made it a possibility. He's already really made it a reality for them if they just choose to accept it. But the problem is a lot of people, as we've talked about, and we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, get hung up on their own brokenness and are hesitant to know God. They're hesitant, and they need to know that we are willing to hold their hand through this process, right? Let me ask the question. Who among you likes to go in a brand new situation, in a brand new environment that you don't know anything about, and walk in and just be like, hey, here I am? Not many of us, right? We don't go to a new job and the first day be like, hey, everyone, I'm here, right? I'm here to work. Woo, let's work. We don't do that. Why don't we do that? Because we have this huge fear of the unknown. We're worried about what's going to happen or what's going to be said. It's different. It's weird. We want someone to do what? Hold our hand. When we take a new job, what do we do? All of us. I mean, 99% of us. We find someone immediately that we can click with and we just follow them around in their shadow. That's what we do, right? And we follow them around their shadow for a little while until we get comfortable, until we get our wings, and then we can make friends and, and develop relationships and that sort of thing normally. But it takes someone to hold their hand for this to happen. For, and so God is saying the same thing here, that for reconciliation to occur with most people, it's going to require holding their hand. Now, there are going to be some people who we know, I mean, there's testimonies of you know people who see God in a dream and they take hold of God, right? I mean, there's some people who just... You know, they just go and they hear about the Bible and they read it and, you know, they, they, they just believe in Christ and they, you know, start the discipleship process. But that's few and far between. Most people need someone to hold their hand while they're going through this process. So our given task is to bring others back to God. This is our task. All right, now let's talk about this task for a second because this is something that God asks for each of us to do. If we're a believer, it is essential that we do this task, that we are about inviting other people to know God and to have a relationship with Him, to bring people back into harmony. Now, let me mention this. Sorry, I skipped the slide. But too many Christians view the only responsibility of their faith as a generic morality. By the way, this is a huge problem. A huge problem. A huge problem in our world, a huge problem in our churches. Because the average Christian, and I would go so far as to say clearly, the average person who comes to BBC, and by that I don't mean the people necessarily who come every week, but if you factor all the people in who come in just Easter and come in just Christmas and just come in once every year and that sort of thing, if you factor all those people in there, I would still argue that the average person, even the average, the I wouldn't call them the average BBC here, but the average person who attends BBC, even them, they think that God's calling in their life is just to do what? To be good. To do just a generic goodness and that somehow that's what God has asked them to do. Of course, they've probably never read their Bible. They, they probably never asked or thought or to grow deeper in their faith. But here's the thing. Generic morality, it's ironic because generic morality ends up doing what more than anything? Messes it up. 
it messes it up. Because the problem is the world is full of sort of nice people. And so when you go to work and people at work know that you're a Christian and you attend church and you're just sort of nice and that's sort of the way it is, right there you're a hypocrite in their eyes. And all of us who, who live that life, and I don't know among you, but all of us who live that life, basically we are not fulfilling what God has called us to do because generic morality is not what he has called us to have. And by the way, the problem also with generic morality is it changes, right? Because, you know, we say, well, you know, I'm going to be nice to this person. I'm going to be nice to that person. And, uh, you know, I got to be not, okay, well, he's a drug dealer, but God calls me to love him. So how does that look? Well, I'm just going to not say anything about what he does and just let it be okay, right? And so this generic morality doesn't do anyone any good, and I would argue, in fact, is a disservice to the cause of Christ. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, are you saying that we're not supposed to be good people? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, although you could say that, I could be radical for a second and say, forget about goodness, be Christ-like in all that you do. That would be the most accurate thing I could say, because the problem is goodness is, in our world, is depends upon who defines it, because everybody defines goodness differently, okay? If we listen to what Christ says, then that is our call. That is our standard for goodness in our lives. But the problem is, is that too many Christians view this generic morality as being the way that God has asked them to live their lives, but that's not really the case. What are the things that God asks us to do? Well, to be a disciple of Him, right? To follow Jesus wherever Jesus leads. That's, that's, a, that's a big part of it, right? To be, um, I mean, we could go down the list, but, you know, He asks us to, as we talked about here, to take on the task of being ambassadors to our world and sharing with those people that we meet what God has done for them. Um, too many Christians take this generic view of morality and it ends up communicating the wrong thing. If we have one chance to communicate with someone, we want to do it right. And if we have only one chance to communicate with them, the communication that we must speak to them has to be the truth of the gospel. Because the truth of the gospel is the only thing that will do what? As we talked about last week, the stakes are high. The truth of the gospel is the only thing that will allow those people to move from condemnation to being right in reconciliation and peace and harmony with God. So we gotta, you got to move away from that. By the way, if you have friends of yours who claim to be Christian, uh, I've done this at times. <laughs> There's been times where I've told Christians, I said, please don't tell people you're a Christian. Please don't do that. Now, they get really mad with me when I do that. And, and they'll say, well, why? And I'll say, because you're not, you're not living your life that way. You're not doing anything that God calls you to do. You're just sort of being a generic person that, that no one can relate to and, and as being a Christian, and, but yet they know you go to church. So just don't do that, right? Now they get mad, and, and you know, they can say what they want to say, um, and th that's fine. Hopefully the goal is to challenge them not to live their lives that way. Hopefully for you, the challenge is not to live your life that way as well. All right, second idea here this morning is that we must plead for others. By the way, I know that what I just shared about generic morality is not easy. So if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, you know, yeah, I see that. Congratulations, because if I were to speak that message to the average church in America, they would, they would get really mad with me and they would run me out. Because they're convinced that being a Christian has something to do with being nice and having gen generic morality and just being nice to their neighbor. But that's not what God calls us to do. He calls us to love our neighbor, which is very different than being nice to our neighbor. 
we won't get off on that topic. Maybe we'll do a series. We need to do a series on love anyway. And so we can do difference between Mr. Nice and Mr. Love or something like that. Or Mrs. or whatever. But we must plead for others. We must plead for others. Okay. So let's talk about this issue because this is what God has called us to do. Those of us here this morning, we know this. We want to respond to God's call. I know that you do. And so we must plead for others. And this is what the Bible says. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Notice he doesn't say he gave us this horrible message of condemnation, right? How many of you guys seen the people out there uh, downtown who, or on the college campuses? It's like we were talking about the other day. There's like, it must be at one of the life groups. It must be like one person who goes around the country because it's like the same guy, looking guy, with the same agenda, dressed in the same way, says the same thing. And like every college campus I've ever been to in my life. Have you guys ever seen this person? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you? So there's like this guy, and he comes out there, and he's got like, uh, you know, everyone's going to hell signs. And he's out there, and he's screaming, you know, I mean, top of his lungs screaming, uh, you know, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And when women, you know, walk by with the, you know, skirts on, they're like, you woman, going to hell for wearing your skirt, you know, and all this other stuff like that. And you know, and when Christians, because he is not a Christian, when Christians go to him and say, dude, this is like, you're, you're crazy, he just yells at them and tells them that they also are going to hell as well. Well, hey, that's great, but that's not in the Bible, because the Bible tells us that what? That we have a what? Wonderful message of reconciliation. How do you scream at someone a wonderful message of reconciliation? Reconciliation means what? Peace, love, and harmony, right? Again, not in the San Francisco way, but in the way that God intended it. So how do you scream at someone a, a wonderful message of peace, love, and harmony? God loves you! Right? I mean, come on, you know? And, and, and so this is the problem, because the problem is, is that a lot of Christians, they get tied up into this generic morality, they think that just being nice to people is what God calls them to do, and then they have a bad day, and they do what? They harshly deliver the wonderful message of reconciliation that God has. But that is not the way it's supposed to be. By the way, I doubt if any of you are here because someone screamed at you with condemnation, right? Those pe- I mean, honestly, most people that, I mean, I know a few people. I know one guy that, that got, became a believer that way, that I can think of in my entire life. So, you know, you never say never, because always you get somebody comes up to me and says, oh yeah, this happened. But, but the truth is, is that the Bible tells us that our message to people should be a wonderful message of reconciliation. Listen, it, that idea does not gel with the world's idea that Christians are out to condemn people, out to tell them what's wrong with their lives, out to you know tell them that they're doing this and doing that and this has got to change. The Bible tells us that our message for people is that God wants to have peace with you and God is able to restore you back to himself if you believe in him. Yeah, you got to believe. Yeah, you got to admit that you're that you make mistakes and that you're broken and that you want to move away from the brokenness. Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. But the problem is that's not us condemning them. That's us being in the same boat with them and saying, listen, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Let's just get that out of the way right now. You're broken, I'm broken. We all know.
things that we really want to be able to speak. And we must plead with others. Now let's talk about this issue of pleading, because this also is a very interesting idea here this morning, is that we must plead for others. Now what does plead mean? Because I know that we're, I'm using two words that we don't necessarily use a lot in, in everyday English, but it's a very good word here. What does plead mean? Plead means to, I know these are also, I, I try to you know, make it as regular as possible, but to entreat or appeal earnestly, to urgently request, right? And the Bible tells us that we should plead with other people the case of God, that we should earnestly request, say, please, 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 God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to know you. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that in order to plead, I, I tried really hard to find a picture on the Internet that covered pleading, but I only could find either legal, I really only could find legal situations, right? And, and legal would have been okay, uh, but here's the problem. It, it, we'll just take the legal one, and then we'll go from there. But when you plead a case before court, what are you doing? You're humbly requesting because you're down here, right? And the judge is seated up there, right? That's what happens. And what happens is, is because the judge is in a position of authority, and so the best that you can do is go to him and knowing that it's his decision, but to say to him, please consider this motion or whatever. If you watch the lawyer movies and stuff. And so when we go to someone, the Bible tells us that we are to plead God's case to them, knowing that they will sit in judgment of what? Each person sits in judgment of what? Their own lives. Their own lives. The fate of their lives depends on them. But you know what? The fate of their lives also hangs in the balance in a sense because if we don't share with them what God has done for them, they will never be able to make an accurate decision about what they want to do. Yeah, when we share the gospel with people, there are going to be people who say, submit to God, submit to God, and be removed from condemnation, or be my own God and be in control of everything I do and never submit to anyone. I'm going to choose I'm going to choose this way. I'm going to choose to be my own God. I'm going to choose to rule my life however I want to and live however I want to, no matter what anybody says. Yeah, there's going to be people like that. But your job as a believer is to do what? To plead with them that God loves them, and then they have to sit in judgment of their own life. The condemnation comes ultimately from their own acts, from their own deeds. That is why all people ultimately, as they begin life, stand condemned before God. But God erases that condemnation for those of us who believe. But there's going to be lots of people who we try to tell them about who Jesus was, and they're going to reject it. They're going to reject it because they're going to choose to face condemnation or try to leverage God or try to, or they don't believe in it or any other reasons that they will, they will come up. But at the point of fact is that they are the ones deciding their own fate. But our calling is to plead with them say, please consider what God has done. Now, here's the problem with pleading. Here's the problem with pleading. Oh, let me mention this, and I'll talk about the problem with pleading. We appeal to others in the face of their brokenness, okay? So we're making an appeal, right? We're saying, listen, please consider this. Please consider what God has done. And what happens is, is that we're doing it in the face of their brokenness, in the face of their sinfulness. We do not get a fair hearing. Right? When we share the gospel with someone, it is not a neutral playing field. We are on enemy territory. Why? Because the person's heart 
has already been given over to their own brokenness. If the person was not broken, if the person was neutral, if the person could see God clearly, what God offers, and could see what his own selfishness offers and choose equally, then you might have, then the world would be a totally different place to begin with. But you would have some situation here whereby it would be easy to share the gospel with people because then it would just be neutral. But the problem is when you go and share the gospel with people, the reason why people want to reject the gospel, especially, especially the first time you share, is because it contradicts the complacency that exists in their lives. It's the same reason why I shared. Remember I shared a couple weeks ago a, friend, uh, a guy that I know here in San Jose, and uh, you know I mentioned that the first time I shared with him, just inviting him to church, he was like, no way, I'm Catholic. You know, I was, well, I was raised Catholic, and I, I was an altar boy, and then forget that crap. I'm never coming back ever again. That's not what he said, but you get the point of what he said. Right? And, and, and so what happened is, is that, you know, less than six months later, right, he's calling me, as I mentioned, on the phone asking me for flyers and information from BBC. Now, I hadn't made it here yet, but that's okay. And why did that transformation take place? Well, did I do a lot of pleading on the behalf of Christ? No, actually, I really didn't because I don't see him that frequently. And so I just, when I see him, I try to, you know, engage him in this conversation. But it's not like I've been at his doorstep every day pleading with him. No, what it is is because I introduced a foreign concept to him. That's what it was. Because his, his, his and everyone's MO of their lives is to do what? What will make me happy? What do I want to do? I is king. I is God. And so when you appeal to someone, of course they're going to reject you the first time because you're telling them, I can't be king anymore. And of course they're going to be like, what? You can't tell me that I can't be king anymore. It's great to be the king, right? I want to be the king. And so when we appeal to them, we have to realize that just as God has done for us, that we appeal to them in the face of their brokenness, and of course that they are going to be fear. They're, they're going to fear. They're not going to want to do it. They're not going to want to accept God. Usually, the very first time, we talk about in the church. We talk about planting seeds, and we use metaphors like that. And that's basically what we're doing because we're pleading with them. Now, here's the problem: if we were to look at these statistics, remember we talk about 80% of Christians never share their faith at all. And then it goes up to 95% never share their faith so as to lead someone to God. What is the difference between the 80 and 95%? It's right here, right? Because the 80% never share anything with anyone. But though next 15 to 18%, what do they do? They share one time. The person says no, and then they give up and go back to generic morality, which defeats their argument to begin with. They've proven the guy wrong because what you've done is person let's call him john john is your friend and john says i am king of my life look at me i'm king yeah it may be broken yeah my wife may not may not get along but i'm king and you go to john and you say to john john you don't need to be king anymore let god be king and john goes what no way i'm not doing that i'm going to be king of my life forget that and christians 20 percent go Okay, I'll go back to being nice to you. And we go back to being nice to him, and John says what? Woohoo! Yeah! I proved my kingness. That Christian tried to come to me and tell me about that, and I told him, I'm king. 
And they listened, and they went off and did whatever they want to do. And now they're just being nice to me. And it did no good. It did no good because we didn't plead the case. All we did was simply introduce the subject to them. And my friends, that is a failure on our part at that point because God calls us to plead earnestly with people. Now, that doesn't mean to nag them, okay? Nagging is not pleading, all right? We all, you know, we, your mama nag you like my mama nag me, right? Ladies, nag your, no, I'm kidding. We know what nagging is. Nagging don't do no good. Nagging don't do no good. That's, that's the further end, okay? That's the other end. But, the, but we also don't want to just say one time and give up because that's not pleading either. Pleading is in the middle. Pleading is loving someone enough to appeal to them on a regular basis to change their lives for God's reconciliation. But it doesn't mean nag them, because if a person says, look, I'm king, then okay, fine. You, you sit in judgment of your own life. That's what you have to do. Listen, here's the thing. The biggest enemy of the gospel is our desire to do what we want in spite of God's plea. That's what it is. That's the biggest enemy. That is the biggest enemy. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. The biggest enemy is our brokenness, okay? It's not the fact that the gospel is incomprehensible. It's not the fact that the gospel is out of date. It's not the fact that, you know, God is hard to understand or hard to know. It's not the fact that the Bible's hard to read or hard to understand. It's not the fact that they just don't understand it, and if we beat them over the head long enough that they'll understand it. It's not the fact that they come from a wrong culture, or the wrong ethnic background, or the wrong race, or the wrong religion. It's not, it's not that. It's not the fact that it's Satan, or it's the government, or whatever other things people make up. It is solely our brokenness. And it is the brokenness of people that keep them from knowing God. The Bible calls it sin. Okay. But I don't use sin. I use brokenness more so and selfishness because sin also, people tend to think of Hollywood and stuff like that. That's not what sin is. Sin is our brokenness, our fracturing, our mistake, our complete mistakenness before God. So here's the thing. Do we love others enough to plead in humility? Because this is the issue that comes up. When you plead... This is what I was going to mention a second ago. When you plead your case before the judge, you don't do what? You don't get up on stage, you know, if the judge is, if the judge is up here, right? You don't climb up and be equal with him and say, look, judge, you're going to do what I say. This is my courtroom now. What's going to happen? Come on, you guys have watched enough shows, right? The bailiff's going to smack you over the head or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm sorry? Contempt of court, right, very good, yeah, that's right, because they're not going to let you do that. Not even on like a Judge Judy or whatever, one of those judge shows, right? And so the thing is, is that, you know, the judge says, when you come into my courtroom, you're going to blah, blah, blah. And you know what, to be honest with you, the judge is right, because when we step into someone else's lives, we need to do it with humility and love. That's right, yes. They need to hear the gospel. But you know what? When you step into their lives demanding that they stop being king of their own lives and that God is their king and they need to submit to him, you know what? All you're doing is setting up, well, I can't say anything. All you're doing is setting up a a fight. That's all you're doing. Guys, you probably know what word I was going to say there. You're setting up a fight. That's all you're doing. And so what happens is, is that God doesn't desire that we fight with his children.
but that we love them and in humility able to express and plead with them. But that's the thing because it requires us to humble ourselves to people, right? I mean, a lot of times nowadays when I share my faith with people, people will say lots of egregious things about God. Lots of, they'll say, well, I don't like God because he hates whatever. Or I don't like the church because the church does this. And you know, I could get like all defensive and be like, well, you don't know what you're talking about, dude. But I don't. Instead, with all humility, I say, well, let's hold on to that for just a second. Let's talk about what God did for you, and then we'll worry about this issue of these things that are in the world, like the church and people and stuff like that. Okay? And my goal is to show them with complete love, not that I have complete love, a little bit of love. You guys know I'm emotionally constipated. I'm not a, I'm a recovering emotionally constipated person. How about that? And uh, so just a little bit that I have, right? And so the thing is, with whatever little bit of love I have, with whatever little bit of humility I have, I try to share. And the same goes for all of us, that we try to share out of humility because we do not step into someone else's lives and demand from them. We plead our case. We say, listen, please, please, please understand what God has done for you, for you to make yourself right with God. You know what? If you speak to someone in, with humility, you get a different answer than you do when you speak to them demanding. I'll tell you what. I'll prove it to you. Next time you fly, go down here to San, San Jose Airport, San Francisco Airport, and get in line and demand something, whatever it is. Just go to the lady that works at the thing and demand something. You will put me in first class right now. How far is that going to get you? Well, we see people do it all the time when they travel, don't we? But if you go there with all humility and say, ma'am, you know, maybe you can't even in humility get first class. But you might say, ma'am, is there some way you can help me with something? You know, you'll find that that works extremely well. Works extremely, extremely well. And so when we speak to others with and plead to them in humility, they listen. Again, our goal is not to inform, but to express and plead for others' sake for God. That's really the goal here. Third thing, real quickly, we're going to introduce this this week, and we're going to talk about it next week. We must know what we are pleading. It is not enough for us to be ignorant of this. We've got to know what we're pleading. We cannot go to people and be like, listen, listen, please, please. You've got to know God. And they'd be like, okay, how do I know God? You, you bug pleaded with me enough. Uh, I'm willing to consider it, to weigh it. What do I do? And you're like, um, be a good person right? No. Well, I mean, no to that. That's not what it is. So we have to understand. Listen, if we don't understand the case, we can't make an appeal, right? I mean, you're not going to go before the judge and plead a case and not even know what you're pleading. I know that works in comedy movies, right? But it doesn't work in the real world. you got to know what you're talking about. Real quickly, I'm going to introduce it. We'll talk about it. This is, there's different ways of breaking it down, but here's the four things. First of all is that God loves us, right? I mean, when we plead with people, we want them to understand that God loves them and that that is ultimately the beginning of understanding that God loves us so much that he wants me to talk to you, that he wants you to listen, that he wants you to make a decision for him. Number two is that we're all broken. I'm broken, you're broken, everyone's broken, that every person ever born has ever been broken, and you've got to admit this brokenness. Listen, I know, you know, I always give the example of following them around with a movie camera. Look, if I follow you around long enough with a movie camera, am I going to find something really messed up in your life? You don't tell me what it is, but the answer is yes. Right? We all, it's the same way with all of us. And so we're all broken. Number three, that Jesus died to pay for our brokenness. That instead of us trying to negotiate 
this brokenness with God. Yeah, we try to negotiate our brokenness with our kids and with our wife all the time or our husband all the time. But instead of having to negotiate with God, Jesus did the negotiation for us. He went ahead. His whole point of dying was to be a sacrifice that would eliminate all of our negotiation that would just put us back in friendship with God. And number four is that we must fully accept Jesus' free gift. That when Jesus, that his gift is free, but we have to completely accept it. We have to say, okay, I'm going to turn my life over completely to Jesus' sacrifice to God. And at that point, um, I'll be a friend of God and restored back to him, right? Now, you can break it down differently. This is the way I've always learned to break it down. There's different ways of breaking it down. You can highlight some other issues. You know, you talk about, you know, I mean, some people say accept Jesus in your heart. That's sort of a cliche now, and so it's not, people don't listen as well when you say things like that, or born again, it's also somewhat of a cliche now, so people get the wrong idea. Keep it fresh, you know what I mean? That's really the main thing when you're sharing. So, here's the thing. The question is, do you love people enough to tell them what God has done for you? That's really the question. Because if you love people enough, you'll plead the case, you'll, you'll say, please, 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 know that God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little different. There's not going to be a sermon, okay? Now, normally I would say people would be like, yeah, no sermon. Everybody's coming to church, right? Except that I don't know what's going to happen. You guys might just like decide it's too weird for you because you like the 30 minutes of sleep time that I give you, uh, you know, at 11. I don't know. Or 9.30 as it were uh, for you guys. So, uh, So the thing is, next week it is going to be a message but it's going to be a workshop message where we're going to try to talk about ways that we can share our faith with other people. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it's a lot of us and a lot of different ways and a lot of different things, but I'm going to talk about the different ways that we can do it using our testimony, um, inviting people to church, strengths, weaknesses, how it all works, okay? So bring your pen, bring your notebook, that sort of thing. Take some notes. We'll probably have some notes available next week. But I really don't want to, I, I thought a lot about this week, I really don't want it to be a sermon because I think that sometimes churches get locked into sermons and they can't actually talk about skills. You know what I mean? So that's what we're going to do next week. All right. Here's the thing. Our hope today is this, is that we can be ambassadors for God. My prayer for you is that you will do that. You will plead the case of Christ to people. God will honor you and bless you for doing that, by the way. Um, nothing, I think, I can't think of almost anything else that brings more glory and more honor to God than pleading the case of Christ uh, to people who are hostile to him, especially when those hostile people um, become lovers and uh, friends of God. So let's just pray for each of us. Father, we just uh, come to you this morning, Lord, and we pray that each of us would be ambassadors for your sake. Father, that we would uh, be committed and love you enough and love others enough that we would plead your case to other people. That, God, we would speak the truth into their lives. Uh, Lord, they may be resistant, but we will not give up because we love them. Father, we pray that you would bless this church to be a church that shares with other people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.